and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Rachel Green. Today we hear from Kiati Sundaram, CEO at Applied, a de-biased hiring platform. In this episode, we explore the role that fairer hiring processes have to play in reshaping the charity sector. In particular, we will discuss increasing the number of women and underrepresented people in leadership and the role and application of behavioural and data science in the recruitment process. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners, and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. Here is Kiati Sundaram on Debiased Hiring. I'm delighted to be joined by Kirati Sundaram, CEO at Applied. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Um, I wondered if you could introduce yourself and your organisation. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for having me here. I am Kirati Sundaram, CEO at Applied. I've had a mixed background. I've started my career in investment banking and then started my first tech company in 2015. Um, And when I shut that down, I started applying for hundreds of jobs. And that's the journey that has got me into hiring in HR. Uh, That's where Applied comes in. So Applied is built on very similar experiences to myself when I was applying, where I realized that the more I dug into the systems, I realized that the incentive systems in hiring were broken. And if you think of it this way, I, as a candidate, would give a headhunter my CV. This headhunter would typically get three shots in front of an employer. And he or she needs three stellar CVs that fit the part and sound like they're all ticking the boxes. And then that would go in front of the employer. And my CV didn't do any of that because of my mixed background. And this journey showed me that recruitment systems are really inflexible. And so applied is built on the premise that we want to give the world an ethical and more robust way to make hiring decisions. And in a a nutshell, it's based on two mainstays within the software itself. The first mainstay is we should hire on skills that are suitable for the job. And the second mainstay is remove other areas or information that is not relevant to the job what is called as noise in scientific communities. So Applied works with leading purpose-driven organizations all over the world and in the UK, such as London Sport, Comic Relief, UNICEF, to enable them to build high-performing, diverse teams. Thank you. Um, And thank you for sharing your experience. I think a lot of people can relate to the kind of non-traditional career trajectory and um, recruitment processes that you're talking about. Um, especially with recent movements around things such as non-graduates welcome. I think it's such an important topic and I'm happy to have you here to discuss it today. When I was reading through your kind of 
marketing materials I guess that applied um, I came across you know kind of really useful and, and kind of intriguing summary so you know humans aren't perfect when it comes to decision making traditional hiring methods allow for unconscious bias to creep in uh, which is unethical and ineffective and you know I found it really you know surprising although on reflection maybe not so much that there's a 60% chance the best candidates will be missed especially those from underrepresented backgrounds so kind of following on from that I wondered what are the main biases in recruitment in recruitment and why do they still exist you're absolutely right Rachel there has been a lot of academic research that says there is evidence that humans don't hire well and when hiring people automatically make judgments and form impressions that are catastrophic to making a good decision and why these exist it's it's really interesting it's evolutionary we all have these biases they are effectively mental shortcuts that we would need in any decision making system so if you think of it this way uh, I'm going down the road and I see a car hurtling towards me at 100 miles per hour. I will move out of its way. It is a shortcut. That is the mental shortcut my brain tells me to take at that point. And that is a bias in itself. But if I use similar shortcuts and biases in a hiring context, I know that they won't be the right decision at that point. And so they exist because we're all wired this way. It's evolutionary. We can't change it. We can't train it out of us. Now, there are various examples of this and how they fit in a hiring context. One of my favorite ones is we always ask what's in a name, but there's not just one, but roughly around 100 studies all over the world that show our name affects our chances of getting hired. So case in point, which is the curious incident of Sandra Bauer in Germany. So Sandra Bauer in 2016, applies for a job as a personal assistant and was happily invited through to an interview. At the same time, there's another candidate called Mariam Osterk, who also applies for the same job with the same CV and the same application, but she never hears back from that company. Now, this would normally be an unremarkable story. However, it turns out that Sandra and Mariam were in fact the same person oh well wow. <laughs> or rather more accurately the same made-up person mm. so researchers essentially sent the same application and all they did was tweak the name and Sandra Bauer gets calls from in four interviews again and again and Mary Mostert doesn't mm. and this has been done around 100 times across 26 countries and the problem still persists whether it's Miriam versus Sandra, or it's Pascal versus Rashid, or it's Andrew versus Muhammad. It is the same problems. And if we expand names or racial connotations, we know that other attributes also feature in this puzzle. So I'll give you another example, which is also very, very interesting. There was another study by Celia Russo, which was done on orchestra candidates. And you may have come across this before. So in, in that problem, they saw that mostly men were getting through into their orchestra. And they thought that they would check what was creating that problem. And they added a behavioral intervention. So what they did is they put a screen in front of the judges. 
So now the judges can only listen to the performance, but not see who is performing it. And this intervention alone caused a 50% rise in the number of women selected. So all that was happening is because our brain tricks us, it asks us to follow what we think is normal or what we know is normal, and we will fall into that trap. And this is why at Applied, we believe that you can't just train it. It will always exist with us. We have to create systems and processes that will allow people to mitigate for these noisy decisions as scientists call them and give us uh, another way to make more accurate decisions. Thanks for putting that in context. I think there's some really interesting studies about evolution, as you say, um, and kind of the name studies. I think that's such a stark example of those kind of ingrained biases that we have. And I think it's interesting to have not acknowledge that, you know, it's not possible for us to kind of train ourselves out of those biases, but instead create systems to change that. It's a really, really interesting um, kind of takeaway from that. So kind of along the, the same same topic, really, but how prominent is um, behaviour and data science um, in the role of hiring biases? Very prominent. <laughs> I've talked about some of these examples that come up in a screening interview, but same kinds of biases carry on in later stages of interviews or even post-hire situations such as like a job promotion discussion now we know that we are far from perfect at making these decisions but when we are thinking of solving these decisions we have to go back to science both behavioral science and data science so coming back from that because it is a behavioral problem we know we can't train it out we have to design systems that will allow humans to take better decisions and that's the behavioral angle to it The data science piece is where applied also comes in, is how do we give you better data and good data to make more robust decisions? So if I go back to how applied works, again, two mainstays. One is giving you the information that is right and good to help you make the right decision, which goes back to behavioral science also, removes things that are not predictive and noisy. And then you take the data science element, which is, any bits that are irrelevant or noisy, example, what my name sounds like, where I went to school, how many years I have worked in that same role before, all of that is not predictive. So we start adding more data science, understanding what good looks like, what good doesn't look like. And that's how applied is different. So we give you good data, not everyone has good data, and we can do another hour of conversation on what good data actually means. And I'm sure that's not the scope of this conversation, but effectively looking at how do we make sure Kiati can do a good job as a CEO at Applied, and there are things we can test for that. So that's good data, and then taking away bad data, which not many people do, and that is where the devising comes in, which is how do we start thinking about removing things that cause a flawed signifiers. For example, is anonymization a start? Is it the end? Do we do much more? 
what kind of biases are we looking at? And these are the questions that start coming in and they straddle both the behavioral science element and the data science element. And I think it's something that we're becoming more and more kind of aware of, um, you know, within the charity sector and different sectors. And I think, like you say, having different systems and approaches to applications like you have it applied but also in that kind of interview and post interview stages what can we do to drive away those biases that we might have um, already and looking specifically at how can we create equal opportunities for women and um, underrepresented underrepresented groups in particular for leadership roles because I know For example, sometimes charities or wider kind of graduate programs, for example, might have great programs for women in underrepresented groups. But how can we ensure, you know, the differences in hiring for leadership roles, people with more experience? How can we create equal opportunities for them? This is a really tricky subject because there is so much work that Applied is doing, which is seen as at the forefront of HR. Um, And it is all about building better value-add businesses at all levels. So if you don't have representation at senior levels, we understand that we won't be able to create value-added businesses in the long term. With that in mind, we have a mission at Applied to create level access. Level access to economic opportunities at all ranks and seniority, level access at those points in the journey that would not be possible otherwise. And how we do it at Applied is skills-based hiring. Now, it's not a silver bullet. It is not solving for systemic issues in education or systemic racism. All we're saying is there is a process problem. We identify that there is a process problem and we're solving for that. Going back to Applied's way of solving is if you can find a predictive and robust way to test all my skills and tell me that I can do a great CEO job before I've gotten to the job, regardless of whether I've held that job before or not, that's all you need as a hiring manager. And so we're talking about an anonymized recruitment process here that focuses on identifying and then testing the specific skills needed for that job. So if if you think of the results from this, we've already been able to boost female leaders in the third sector and the charity sector in the UK. In the benchmarks, we know that women currently account for about 35 to 36% of CEOs or chief executives at charities and nonprofits. With all the applied hires that we've done, we've been able to get a success rate of 61% in senior roles. So that's almost a 70% increase compared to the traditional methods, because it's safe to assume that the traditional hiring is being done without a skills-based approach in mind. It's still very standard. You do a CV screen or a phone screen, you then do a couple of interviews, and then you have a chat with the boss or something like that, or the board, if it's the C-suite level, and then you get hired. And a lot of that is predicated on us not knowing where to begin the journey, not knowing what data is good or bad, and also not having a system in place to prevent us from mitigating the biases. And and all of that is simply subsumed under the feature set of skill-based hiring. 
Mm, I think that makes complete sense because at the end of the day, when we're hiring for a role for a vacancy, we do want someone who has all the necessary skills. That is a reason why, um, you know, we're going to recruit someone. So it makes sense to focus on the skills of the person and not all of the the noise, um, I guess it's called in research. So, yeah, it's fantastic that you're able to um, kind of help with a de-bias hiring process. And I've actually benefited from Applied's platform myself. Um, I applied for Charity Works (laughs) a few years ago and, yeah, kind of applied through the system. And a year later, I also kind of reviewed people's applications for the following cohort of charity works and in that we were kind of asked to review people's answers but we were kind of asked to review them in a different way that you perhaps normally would and kind of also consider you know the breadth of opportunities people may have been given for example if someone's a caregiver versus someone um, you know who's been through university and how both of these people still may have really strong skills um, for the charity works program and so I really appreciated um, going through that process I think it really kind of opened my eyes um, to how I guess kind of questioning those biases or preconceived ideas I might have had about you know who would be great to join the charity works program yeah I just wanted to ask um in general what is applied doing to tackle bias in the recruitment process yeah, it's a that's a very broad, broad <laughs> spectrum. The entire recruitment process can go from sourcing to hiring and even post-hire at some times. And we know that hiring has not been innovated in centuries. Our organizations look different, our skills look different, but our job ads and our processes still look the same. And I know that 95% of the world is hiring without data mm-hmm. when evidence tells us that absolutely that's not the most effective way to hire. So the first thing we're doing is education and awareness that the problem exists. The second thing we're doing is, as we already spoke about, the solution set, which is skill-based hiring. So how do we move people who got used to this ability to screen CVs in 30 seconds from that stage to actually start thinking bottom-up of what a job requires and what skills are required? And that's a very difficult piece because that's a big leap. When we are talking at Applied about skills, we are thinking in a very broad sense. It's a catch-all phrase for soft skills, hard skills, mission alignment, values, anything that you want to test for and accurately build a a profile of the candidate, but not in the traditional sense. So not not a CV profile. And that is the difficulty in, in... us establishing ourselves as a leader because there is no charted path. Mm -hmm. So we have to almost educate the customer, number one, teach them the solution, number two, and then get them on the journey. And there are many people who are not ready to take that journey, in which case applied has to be a bit more pragmatic and meet them where they are. Some people might not be ready to leave the CVs at all, and that is fine because we understand that it is a big behavioral problem and we'll need quite a lot of education and stepping stones to change. 
But if you look specifically at our customers, we've now helped 12,000 hires through the platform. Consistently, we are able to get more women into counter stereotypical roles, either senior or C-suite or technology roles. They're all counter stereotypical when it comes to getting women hired in the workplace. And specifically looking at STEM roles and technology, which is a personal core favorite of mine, the number of female hires have increased by almost 70% using an applied mechanism. Similarly, ethnic minority hires have jumped two to four times dependent on which minority group is being compared to their representation in, in the UK workforce. Now, this is, this is big numbers we're talking about now. It's in the thousands. And when we look at applications, it's in the almost half a million we have now. And when we start building the data points and we start connecting, we see a pattern. And that pattern is telling us that this process works. It's now about educating wider communities and starting a national debate. Thank you. Yeah, I think you kind of see without a doubt the huge benefits um, to something like applied and kind of reviewing our current hiring processes. And I think just to follow on from that, what is the tangible thing you would like our podcast listeners to take away from this episode? Well, the, the, the more amorphous thing, I think, would be to understand where they are on their hiring journey. If they are keen on building higher value ad businesses, it's worth asking ourselves how we can tear up the traditional job application rulebook, how we can create level access in our organizations, because a lot of the organizations don't even have space to have such conversations. So I think the very first step for me is just letting people have that space and making sure that they're having that conversation. And then they would probably realize that they are somewhere in the journey and the journey starts at no metrics and no idea of what works to having a full-fledged applied type solution towards the end, which is highly predictive, highly robust. And everyone is at different points in the journey. So just a cognizance of where they are and starting that conversation would be great. Yeah, definitely. And um, I guess kind of following on from that, are there any particular um, kind of campaigns or um, conversations that you've been involved in, either in the charity sector or kind of the wider recruitment sector um, that you'd like us to kind of follow up with or look into? Well, we do several campaigns. We're doing one for charities now, but then we will also be doing for consulting sector and a few other sectors that we uh, have our business partners in. Um, but it's it's more broadly just starting that education piece on, on a wide scale. So if you look at all of our recent uh, media talks and coverage and blogs, we always talk about how to build and understand where you are on the journey and take steps forward. So it's, it's, I would love if, if your audience needs, we could send them materials just to understand even a simple questionnaire can make them understand where they are on the journey and then they can build on that from, from that point. Okay, fantastic. Um, thank you so much for your time today. And um, yeah, I'm sure everyone has learned, already learned so much about DBIAS hiring. And as you say, the kind of, um, the surveys and the further reading we can do to 
understand where we are on our recruitment journey in terms of devious hiring and also implement real changes um, to see the impact and to see the genuine talent um, of everybody who might be applying for our roles. Um, so thank you so much. Well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you for having me here. Well, one thing I would like to say is it's needless to say, but we do use our own product to hire at Applied. And we have a highly diverse, high-performing team, which is majority women, non-binary, and that's not the norm in tech companies. And, and so it's, it's just like small data points like this. We know that this process works. And even if people are not ready to adopt an applied process, they may not have budgets, they might be at different points, just a cognizance is very important of how they can build for a more sustainable, more diverse company. Yes, um, we couldn't have ended on a better point. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a great conversation. again to Kiati for joining us on the podcast today. We've learned that the main biases include humans not hiring well, which is evolutionary due to the shortcut decision making that our brain tells us to take, which is a bias in and of itself. Therefore, we can't train ourselves to break our biases. Rather, we need to use external processes and systems to make more accurate decisions in recruitment. Kiati shared two clear case studies which explored our internal biases. For example, the name change of Sandra Bauer or Miriam Ostuk in Germany and how her name and profile image affected the number of companies who asked her to return for interview, as well as the double-blind auditions of the orchestra, which increased the number of successful women selected. We also learned that so-called noisy information, such as a candidate's name, university or school, and how many years they've previously worked in the role should be removed to better understand the good data and ensure that the candidate can excel in the role. I would love to know if this episode sparks internal discussions at your organisation and whether you will be changing your recruitment process as a result of this podcast. You can email us at charitychatpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forrester Falls for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. Thank you.